Anyway, we're in Revelation chapter 20, and we're having a look at this question, what happens after I die? Just some light thinking. On the first Sunday evening back in January, uh, you're very welcome. I'm glad you came this night. I'm sure you aren't. But anyway, uh, Revelation chapter 21, chapter 20 into chapter 21, this massive question, what happens when I die? I'm going to pray as we get stuck in. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that these words would become true to us, Lord, that we would grasp what is in them. Father, we would yet again be convinced that you are the God of the resurrection. Father, we pray that we would get our heads around this incredibly difficult topic of the after-death question. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, in sitting here this afternoon, this evening, you are admitting something. You're admitting, number one, that you're not a materialist. What I mean by materialist? Well, simply, the materialist's view is that all that there is, is all that can be seen and measured. That's all that there is. There's nothing beyond the material world. You are proving this evening that you're not one of those types of people. Bertrand Russell, the famous British philosopher, wrote a book, Why I'm Not a Christian. And in it, he said this, I believe that when I die, I shall rot, and nothing of my ego will survive. I am not young, and I love life. For the atheist, there's really nothing beyond the grave. For the materialist, there is nothing beyond the grave. It is Bertrand Russell's view, when I die, I rot. You've also admitted that you're concerned. Second point, this question of what happens beyond the grave becomes personal, doesn't it? Perhaps recently you felt the sting of death and the death of a loved one, of a friend, a family member. It is the ultimate statistic. One in one people die. But of course, death as a subject has become something of a taboo subject. If you want to ruin a dinner party, that's the subject to bring up. That's the moment you will be asked to leave or you'll be ignored and everyone else will move into the other corner away from you. Spike Milligan, former famous British comedian, said this, I don't mind death, just want, I don't want to be around when it happens. Billy Connolly, I don't know if you saw what was going on on BBC Two the other night, and I think it was the second in a two-part series of Billy Connolly charting his demise. His wife put on Instagram the next day a picture of Billy apologizing and the caption was, I'm sorry that I was so low last night, and I've depressed so many of you. We've got a strange relationship, don't we, with death. Also, perhaps you think that an answer to the question is possible. It is doable. It's strange that you think this, because in order for you to think this, you must think someone has been there and knows what is beyond the grave in order to tell us. I mean, after all, you don't really know what's on the other side of that wall unless I go round to the back of that wall, find out what there is, and come back and tell you. Well, Christians claim that Jesus Christ did live, did die, and came back to life again. That's a central claim of Christianity. And we're talking about death, proper death, in relation to Jesus. Not the kind of thing that great Aunt Mary claims, that she had a an out-of-body experience, or she saw the light on the operating table. That's not what we're talking about. And in order to find out just exactly what Jesus says and what Jesus thinks about death, we go to his words, the Bible. Unfortunately, though, if you look in the index page of your Bible, you'll not find 
under the day word death, you'll not find page number so and such. You'll not find that because simply the Bible does not have a section on death, as it were. Rather frustratingly for us, it doesn't deal with the topic in the way that we would like it to deal with the topic. Rather, what we have to do is think, what does the whole of the Bible say about this topic, this issue of death? So what does happen after I die? We need the truth, not the soft words that will make us feel better. We want the truth. And the only person who can give us the truth is the one who's been through death and come out the other end of it. Just before we go on, the question is begged, isn't it? What is death? Well, the Bible is clear right from its earliest pages is that death, physical death, is as a result of spiritual death. Adam and Eve rejected God, and as a result, as a result, they died. Adam didn't die right away when he took the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He died spiritually, and his death came, his physical death came eventually. The consequence of our spiritual death is physical death. Another question that's begged is, what is heaven? Well, where is heaven? Well, heaven is Jesus. It's where Jesus is. And really, the whole of the Bible's teaching on the issue of death and what happens immediately after death can be thought of in these terms, that those who are Christians will be with Christ forever. Those who are in Christ will be with Christ forever. Something that contrasts Christians from every other virtually, every other world religion, is that we do not have a cyclical view of history. There's a beginning and an end. In other Eastern religions, for example, life is cyclical. You are reincarnated. That is what happens in other religions, or is what's considered to happen by the other religions to the human being. They emerge, re-emerge again after death into something else, only to go through this cycle of reincarnation. Of course, we have to hold intention all of those verses that speak about death. They speak about, some speak about death happening, and then the person being with Christ in Christ's presence right, right away. Jesus himself says that to the thief, you'll remember, today you'll be with me in paradise. Then there are other verses in the Bible that talk about death and then judgment, and then being with Christ forever. So we have to hold in tension what appears to be contradictory verses in the Bible. And what we have to do is build up a picture of exactly what the case is. And that's why we go to the very end of the Bible, to Revelation chapter 20 and 21, where we have in both captivating and vivid language just exactly what it looks like for those who die who are in Christ. Indeed, those who die who are not in Christ. And we learn two things. The first is this. When Jesus returns at the end of time, there will be a great judgment. Have a look at chapter 20, verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. Earth and sky fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. Verse 11, we have a picture of a throne. In fact, it's not just any old throne. 
It's a great throne. And it's not just any old great throne. It's a great white throne. Who normally sits on a throne? Question for anyone. Who normally sits on the throne? I'm sure you can answer this. It's a king. A ruler normally sits on the throne. Who normally sits on a great throne? Well, a great king, a great ruler. Who normally sits on a great white throne, do you think? Well, throughout the book of Revelation, which is full of this picture language and symbolic language in numbers and in colors, we understand that white equals purity. White equals holiness. White equals goodness. White equals perfection. So the one who's sitting on this great white throne is the one who is perfect, the one who is holy, the one who is good. In other words, God, who's the one who's sitting on the throne, always gets it right. The one who has made us, the one who therefore owns us, the one who therefore has the right to hold us accountable, will always get it right. We will be judged, every human being, not according to our standards, which is quite a good thing, isn't it? Rather, according to the one who's sitting on the great white throne, the one full of goodness, the one full of holiness, the one full of perfection, the one about whose character there is no question. He is the one who will be doing the judging. And who will be judged? Well, have a look at verse, 20, uh, verse 12 in chapter 20. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. So who is being judged? Well, it's the dead. The message throughout the Bible is that after death, judgment. This is the one key component, isn't it? This comment of virtually all of our understanding around death. That there's judgment. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, it is appointed unto man to die once and then to face judgment. Judgment is a reality. Judgment is a fact. And no one is exempt from this, not even the dead. Physical death does not exempt you from this judgment. The interesting thing is, how are the dead described in verse 12? And I saw the dead, verse 12, great and small, standing. I'm not sure whether you've much familiarity with death, but this is not something that a dead person does. Stand. I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. Somehow, God raises people to judgment. Somehow, even the dead are brought to judgment. They stand. God will ensure that everyone who has ever lived will experience his judgment. Physical death is no bar to judgment. Everyone, atheist, agnostic, the religious, everyone from every place, everyone from every time will stand before God. So what happens when I die? Well, judgment. I'm not sure what you think of judgment. Is this something that you're going to have to apologize to the friend you've brought along this evening about? Well, it's really not a matter for apology, I would suggest. Rather, it's a sign that God cares for the world that he has made. Imagine you are set a piece of coursework. You work really hard at that coursework. You type it up or you get your mum to read it or something like that, and you bring it to your lecturer. Your lecturer doesn't bother marking it. You pass, or you just allow them away with that one time, and then second time, the same thing happens. Third time, the same thing happens. You kind of think to yourself, why am I paying my £6,000 to this lecturer at Queen's University for not marking my coursework? 
Well, of course, tutor is entirely ambivalent to what you've produced for them, entirely disinterested. You're not really impressed by them. You want some form of justice, as it were. You want some form of accountability. You want some form of assessment. And we want that on a global scale. We want that on an eternal scale. We want some form of justice. We long for that day of justice. But never done to me. Never done to you. Always done to others. We don't like it when the police car is chasing you. I don't like it when the police car has chased me. Once or twice, it has happened. You'd rather that it chases the other cars on the other sides of the road, and you feel rather smug whenever they're after them, but not whenever they're after you. We always want judgment done to other people, not me. In the divine court and the divine courtroom, it's a God who will judge everyone and everything. And it'll be a judgment according to his commandments, not what we're told today. Be true to yourself, look after the planet, not those kinds of things. Rather, God's standards are love God and love everyone he has made. Those are his standards. Those are his measuring tips. Well, how will that make you feel? I think it terrifies us, doesn't it? It frightens us, doesn't it? This fact of judgment. Verse 12, I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. What was in those books? Really a record of everything we've done in our lives. A record of who you've offended. A record of the thoughts that you've had. A record of the words that you've spoken. A record of the things that you've done. But then at the end of verse 12, we get this. Another book was opened which is the book of life. Earlier on in the book of Revelation, that book of life is described and given its full title. It's the Lamb's book of life. Those whose names are recorded in the Lamb's book of life. I'm not sure if you're old enough to remember what a phone book is. In olden days, as my son keeps asking me, in olden, my six-year-old son keeps asking me, in olden days, beside your great-grandmother's phone, she would have had a book, and everyone's name would have been in it because she didn't have an iPhone where there was a contacts section or contacts app that you press and you can find a number in. Just imagine this on an eternal global scale. God's book, the Lamb's book of life. The book which contains the names of those for whom Jesus Christ died. The rest of the picture that's painted here in chapter 20, verse 11 through to 15, is something that makes us set up, isn't it? The dead, verse 12, the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what he had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire, the lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. This is sobering stuff, isn't it? This is the good God, the good, just, perfect, and holy God who's sitting on the great white throne in judgment. What happens after death? Judgment. 
What's the nature of this judgment? What's the nature of the judge? Well, it is that all of our acts, all of our words, all of our thoughts, all of our deeds will be measured and wed by the good and perfect and holy judge. That is the true and the living God. You might think to yourself, isn't hell a bit extreme? Isn't this talk of eternal fire a bit extreme? Isn't this talk of eternal death a bit extreme? Well, not really. If we think it's a bit extreme, then we haven't really understood the nature of our rebellion against God, the nature of our saying no to God, the measure of how far we've walked away from God. The height of our sin justifies the length of our sentence. When Jesus returns, when we meet Jesus, either through death or if he comes back before that moment we die, there's a great judgment. When Jesus returns, there's also a breathtaking future. For those who trust in Jesus, this is what is ahead. Verse 21, sorry, chapter 21, verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. When Jesus returns, for those who trust in Jesus, for those who are in Jesus, who will be with Jesus, there will be a new physical creation. God is going to do that. A new heavens and a new earth. There will be new resurrection bodies. That prospect may not mean a great deal whenever you're young and fit, but when you're old, even going to bed can create problems. Going to bed and when you get up in the morning, you've got a sore back. That is the case with me old and decrepit, you will look forward to the new resurrection body, which will not face death or face difficulty. Verse 1, I saw a new heaven and new earth, this new physical creation. For the first earth had passed away. Isn't that good news? This present creaking, groaning body, this present creaking, groaning earth will pass away. What else is in this? Well, verse 3, God. And I heard a loud voice from the heavens, sorry, from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. How precious is that to you if you're a Christian? How interesting is that to you if you're a Christian? Perhaps you're looking forward to the thought of a new resurrection body. Well, actually, what the focus is on here is that God will be with us. We will be with God if we're in Christ forever. That's incredible. We will see God. We will know God. We will relate to God without any barrier, without any difficulty. What happens after we die? Well, for the Christian, there is this breathtaking future. 
And you see what God will do. God will mop up our tears of sadness and death through bitterness and bereavement, through loss. We will gain. Verse 4, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. This is what is for the Christian, for the person who is in Christ. They'll be with Christ forever. No more death, no more sickness, no more sadness. Wouldn't you give your back teeth to be there? What will happen before this future public day of judgment, before this throne room? What happens to those who've trusted in Christ, who've died before Christ returns? Well, the Bible gives us hints. The Bible tells us that for the unbelievers who die, they will be held in a place of pain, waiting for this public day of judgment. For the believers who die, instantly and consciously in the presence of Christ. You hear the words of Jesus to the thief on the cross. He didn't deserve those words. Today, you'll be with me in paradise. This is stunning, isn't it? The Bible makes it absolutely clear that there's no purgatory, that there's no reincarnation, that there are no second chances. When you die... It's not that you'll rot. When you die, you'll be judged. Absolutely clear. There is no wriggle room around this. No purgatory, no reincarnation, no second chances. Every human being exists forever. There are only three things that last forever. That is God, His Word, and human beings. And for the human beings, the only choice is where? Will I spend eternity? For the Christian, that's going to be heaven. For the person who isn't a Christian, for the person who isn't a believer, for the person who continues to reject all this, or for the person who's disinterested in Jesus, ignoring Jesus in their life, well, the Bible describes it here, hell, the place of death. This future reality should impact our emotions our decisions, our priorities. It causes us, doesn't it, to keep on going, explaining about Jesus to our friends, keeping on going at uni church, keeping on going, inviting friends to life, keeping on going, explaining to our friends in the staff room, in the common room, telling them the future, the future, the future. So I don't know what you think this evening. I don't know what you think about life. I don't know what you think about death. It is something that will impact us all. It is something that we will all face. It is something that is a fact of life. Are you ready for it when it comes? It is possible to get ready for it. It is possible, isn't it? It is possible to get ready for it and to know that great future, that breathtaking future that will be for those whose trust is in Jesus Christ. 
it's possible even to do that tonight. And I'm going to pray a prayer in just a second that will help you to do that, maybe to begin the journey. You don't need to know absolutely everything about God in order to become a Christian. You just need to know that you need to become a Christian, to trust in Jesus, to turn from, well, hell towards heaven. And you can do that because this person sitting on the throne, our judge, is also our Savior. This one is described in sacrificial terms. He's described as a lamb. And we know what happened to the lamb. This lamb was killed. Jesus went through death so that we could go through death with him. For the Christian, there is nothing to fear. For the Christian, there is life forever with Jesus. This prayer says something like this, Dear God, I know that I'm not worthy to be accepted by you. I don't deserve your gift of eternal life. I am guilty of rebelling against you and ignoring you. I need your forgiveness. Thank you for sending your son to die for me that I might be forgiven. Thank you that he rose from the dead to give me new life. Please forgive me and change me that I may live with Jesus as my ruler. Now, if any of that means anything to you this evening, if any of that is something that you want to say to God, well, let's bow our heads, close our eyes, and in just a second, I'm going to say this. I'm going to say it slowly. So that if you want to say it internally, just you and God, you can join with me. Dear God, I know I'm not worthy to be accepted by you. I don't deserve your gift of eternal life. I'm guilty of rebelling against you and ignoring you. I need forgiveness. Thank you for sending your son to die for me that I may be forgiven. Thank you that he rose from the dead to give me new life. Please forgive me and change me that I may live with Jesus as my ruler. Amen.